This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today. Uh, this was a delight. So a little bit of backstory. Earlier this week, Jill and I realized that we didn't have a author interview for uh, this Monday, which is when you'll hear it. Um, and we have basically like the next two to two and a half months fully booked up. But there was just like one day where an author wasn't able to make it. So it kind of fell through the cracks. And we were kind of scrambling, thinking like, okay, who can we bring on? We just missed the Thursday episode for you guys. We didn't want to do that again. And we had had some interactions with Katie Zhao, author of How We Fall Apart earlier in the month, because we promoted it as one of our August book picks. How about how excited we were to read it? It's on my TBR, um, but we weren't planning on having Katie on, but she had, you know, DM'd, had talked with us on social media a little bit. And so we knew she knew who we were and everything. And I DM'd her on her release day, on her book birthday, and said, hey, would you like to come on the podcast? And she responded that day. We were able to put it together. It was really great. Um, so I had a conversation with Katie Thursday evening. Um, and now you're hearing it Monday. So really quick turnaround. But I was flying and I was flying blind because I haven't read the book yet, which is the thing I never do. I always read the books before I talk to authors. And then I went to check it out at the library to scramble to read it in one night. My library didn't have a copy available because so many people have borrowed it, which is an amazing thing for Katie. But so we, we talk about this a little bit during the podcast. Obviously, I did my research and everything. But um, yeah, I felt completely in the dark talking to, to Katie about her book because I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But she was wonderful. Have a really great conversation about dark academia books, a thing that obviously everyone knows is right in Jill's wheelhouse. And it's in my wheelhouse too, but it's like, a Jill wheelhouse for sure. Um, talk about our own high school experiences growing up, um, how they're obviously much less crazy and hectic than the one that she writes about and how we fall apart and all sorts of great stuff. We get to our keep out books, of course. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, and just seriously, huge shout out to Katie for rolling with the punches and being like, yeah, I'll come on, sure, that'd be great in the middle of a hectic book birthday week. So Endure you forever, Katie. Thank you. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us about this episode or any of the others, you can, of course, always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. If you go to professionalbooknerds.com, that's our website, you'll see all of our old uh, interviews, book recommendation episodes, basically anything you want, you can find there. Just search for a book or an author or a genre or a theme at the top of the page, and you'll see all the episodes we've ever done from that. So you can do all that. Of course, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at probooknerds. And if you haven't done this in a while, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review and a quick rating, all that good stuff helps people find us just a little bit more easily. Um, okay, that's just about everything. Again, just one last time. Thank you so much, Katie. You 
are a hero and I very much loved chatting with you. And I think you're all going to enjoy our conversation as well. So please enjoy this chat with the fabulous Katie Zhao, author of How We Fall Apart on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I very much appreciate you doing this on short notice. So full disclosure, and this is very funny because this never happens to me. So your book is on my TBR. And when I found out we were talking, I went to go borrow it from my library, like as I do, because we work for Overdrive. And because so many other people are reading it right now, there's like a three month wait. And I obviously. Yeah. So I've. I'm like, you know, I'm a good podcaster, so I've done my due diligence, but like, it was so like, I'm, I'm kind of excited. Obviously I know what that's about and I'm going to have you like introduce it to everybody, but I'm like this normally I've like read the book you know, like front and back cover to cover. And I'm just like flying blind here. So I'm kind of excited, but yeah, I was like super jazzed because I was like books in second print already Oh. <laughs> literally couldn't get it from like any of my local libraries. I was like, this is so cool. But that is so wild. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do like an intro and everything later. Okay. on. Myself, but, like, I can just, if you just want to introduce the book to our readers, like I said, I know what it's about, but not all the plot. So I'm gonna let you introduce it and we'll just, we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. I'm Katie Zhao. I am the author of How We Fall Apart, which is a newly released young adult dark academia thriller um, that's been pitched as crazy rich Asians meets one of us is lying. And it follows this group of four Asian American students who are attending an elite prep school in Manhattan. Um, And the events of the book begin when they learn that their ex best friend is found dead. and they're the ones who are being anonymously incriminated by this figure on a social media app, um, who's essentially saying that these friends were involved in this girl's death. So that's how the book kicks off. And from there, um, it's a race against this mysterious figure um, because they need to figure out who this person is. Um, They need to find the true killer and clear their names. But in the process, all of their secrets unravel. So, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was prepping for this is the fact that there's been, like, like you said, there's a lot of books in dark academia that have come out over the past couple of years. And like my co-host Jill famously loves a dark academia book. Like that's right up. That's huge yeah. in her re- her uh, reading wheelhouse. Like I'm, I'm curious what you think as the author of the book, like why do you think we like as a society of readers love dark academia so much like what is it about these books that just draws all of us in I love this question so much and I've been asked like so many times over the past week or so 
Um, so I can really only speak for myself, but mm -hmm. I feel like it probably applies to at least some of the people who love dark academia. For me, it's that like, I, I mean, growing up, I was such a bookworm. Like I was the kid who always had a new book, like every single day in school, like not kidding. Like every single day was a new book for me. Um, and I, like my favorite class was like his, uh, English. I also really loved history. Um, I really enjoyed like studying the classics. Um, like I just love all of it, the reading and the writing. And so for me, the pull of dark academia is that it's like about groups of students who are similarly like really obsessed with um, their education. And usually um, dark academia surrounds like the classics, um, the genre has like Eurocentric leanings. Um, you know, there's a lot of like obsession with like Greek, Roman literature, that sort of thing. And not only that, um, but there's usually some kind of like dark happening at the school. So usually it'll be like, um, you know, a, a very like old school, like Gothic um, kind of environment. Usually these are like private schools or prep schools, mm -hmm. sometimes universities. Um, and yeah, so, so something like very dark will happen at the school. Um, like there'll be a murder or there'll be like some kind of secret society just lots of like mysterious happenings. Um, and so for me, it's just like, you know, nothing has that exciting has ever happened to me in my entire life. Um, my school was very boring. Nobody <laughs> was murdered, which I mean, it's a good thing, mm -hmm. you know, but it was just like the, just like a very, very like normal upbringing that I had. Yeah. Um, and so like my brain will like wander and think of like worst case scenarios mm -hmm. sometimes and I think like dark academia is just a way for me to like you know live sort of live a different life where like very like dark mysterious things happen at school um and these kids like are just not great people usually yeah. um because I and I also I also feel like those of us who are bookworms and love literature we tend to be like rule abiders like um you know, we, we were like the kids who always wanted to get good grades, never wanted to put a toe out of line, like followed the rules to a T. So it's it's almost like a, a release uh, mm -hmm. to be able to read or write about fiction where people do the very opposite of that and they don't have morals and they put every toe out of line mm -hmm. um, and they cross all these like moral and ethical lines. and we get to sort of see what happens to these characters, how, well, how they fall apart <laughs> in these stories. <laughs> you. You've done this a few times now at this point. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, and, and I think also like there's, you know, and I know with your book, there is this underlying a little bit as well, but like thinking about a couple of my favorite examples of like dark academia, or like at least like books where it's like teenagers, uh, students of a certain age like with a mysterious thing going on like um ace of spades came out earlier this year oh, by yeah. frida bk omide and then um even if we break by marika Niekamp, which came out last year which is not specifically like take place in the school in fact it's like different but it's also like a group of friends doing um like basically a role-playing game with secrets and things like but i think what those books also highlight which is something that you highlight is like this um difference how like specific 
races of people and specific people with certain cultural backgrounds are looked at in school and are like the cast you know like a shadow upon or like they have to be this like model minority type of a, of a thing and like and that's something that you write a lot about in this book as well right yes you've done your homework too oh, well i guess like i told you before, yeah. before we started recording like this is such a weird <laughs> moment for me because i always read every book beforehand but like you you're such a wonderful human you agreed to do this like in your pub week like two days before recording so I'm like flying blind so I need to do my research for sure but like so how you know can you maybe like talk about what went into that and like how if it's related at all to your own background like you said no one was murdered in your school which is good yeah but are there parts <laughs> of the the story that do kind of uh, touch on maybe your upbringing a little bit yeah yeah so um like I said, nobody was murdered. Yeah. Uh, and I and I went to a school that was not um, really like an elite or private school. But I, you know, I guess actually for like public schools um, in the state I grew up in, which is Michigan, mm -hmm. it was considered elite. It was like we were always ranked among like the top five schools, I want to say. Um, and, you know, Michigan isn't known for being diverse, really. But I did grow up in like the Metro Detroit area and the school I went to was one of like the more diverse schools. Like I didn't grow up with like no people of color around me, mm -hmm. um, but it was like a, a very small percentage of the school that was like um, students of color. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of like the, 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 the emotions that I tried to put in the book via the protagonist Nancy's uh, perspective, those were taken from my high school memories um, because I remember being like one of the few Asian American students in class. Um, I remember feeling, um, you know, just like having a lot of like complicated feelings about my identity because I always felt like I was a little bit singled out, even mm. though like that might not have been going on. Um, like when you when you grow up like looking different like it's not something that you can ever truly forget especially if you're around um, people who you know look very different from you for the most mm -hmm. part so nancy like navigates sinclair prep which is the school um in the book feeling very much out of place um and she does have like uh, uh asian american friends mm -hmm. so she's not totally alone but she is also like the only scholarship student who is hanging around with like these very like wealthy students. Um, so she's got like all this pressure on her to, you know, not only like perform up to her standards for herself, her very high standards, but also to like perform up to her parents' standards and to try to like match the performance of her peers who are like wealthier and have all these resources that she doesn't have. So, that was a very long explanation. No, you're but good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, basically, like, a lot of, like, the feelings of inadequacy and never being enough and seeing that um, all the hard work I poured into studying couldn't ultimately um, get me ahead of people who just had those connections I didn't mm -hmm. have. Like, a lot of that emotional turmoil that I felt at 17 made it into this book. Um, where I wrote about a 17 year old who goes through like a similar sort of feeling. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember who it is, but I, there's some author or something that says like, whoever we 
see ourselves as when we're like 13 or 14 like that's who just we forever are and like so when you're writing exactly what you said like you're writing a 17 year old person like you can you see yourself as that age still and and it's probably fairly easy to go back to those feelings like even now I'm in my mid-30s and like I can very much still I could write a angsty 17 year old Adam probably pretty easy right now and just go back to those like theater kid feelings that I had as a as a high schooler oh wow that sounds like it'd be a great book <laughs> I yeah well so I I was sort of working on something for a while and I'm, I'm doing something else at the moment but like my my school is kind of like the not even to the extent that you're talking about but like my school I was the last graduating class before it closed and so like nothing of consequence happened in the school until we found out it was closing and then like that was the one thing it was like I can't believe the school's closed like I graduated like 48 people but no one died there either so that's you know that's good thankfully want to take a quick break talk about today's sponsor which is Headspace uh if you listened to our episodes last week you heard me talk about the fact that you know life can be stressful even under normal circumstances and 2020 and 2021 have been far from normal circumstances. Um, Basically, we have all probably experienced a whole lot more stress in our lives and we want to find a way to relieve that stress that goes just beyond quick fixes. That's where Headspace can come in. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy to use app. Headspace is the one is one of the only meditation apps advanced in the fields of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. They have these three-minute SOS meditations that I use all the time. It's really, really helpful if I am in between meetings and I'm really, really stressed out, freaking out about something, if it's had a challenging conversation with a family member, whatever it is, their little three-minute SOS meditations are perfect. They also have some really, really wonderful wind-down sessions if you have trouble falling asleep. Uh, Members swear by them, and if you are a parent, they even have morning meditations that uh, you can do with your children, which are a really wonderful way to start the day. Uh, Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. They are backed by 25 published studies on its benefits. They have 600,000 five-star ratings and over 60 million downloads. Basically, if you have ever had rough days or you're dealing with anything mentally that you don't know how to handle, download Headspace, give it a, give it a try. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to Headspace dot com slash pbn that's headspace.com slash pbn for a free one month trial with access to headspace's full library of meditation for every situation this is the best deal going on right now so head to headspace.com slash pbn today it was talking about you know you having you know nancy the character who like you said maybe you see aspects of your own upbringing and like when you're writing a story like this where it's all about you know the mystery going on and keeping people guessing and you know having these different characters who are all in this friend group and if all of them have a secret you have to I have to imagine as an author that's both fun and maybe a little bit challenging because like and a lot of times you'll have a book where like 
one of the characters is the mysterious character but like for, for these types of stories everyone has to be the mysterious character so how do you go about building out those characters like is it something that you see before you start writing or is it you're writing a plot and then you think to yourself like oh shoot this particular person needs like something that keeps us guessing yeah 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 no that's a great question so for me i'm not really a planner i would say um uh, well i'm becoming more of a planner because like you can't really like um not plan and just like pants all these yeah. novels like once you have like actual like strict deadlines um but when i drafted this book i wrote like a quick little outline and then i just like started drafting mm -hmm. uh basically just pantsing i don't recommend that for thrillers <laughs> well because of the reasons that you said you sort of have to know like each of the characters like very intimately and you have mm -hmm. to know what their secrets are you have to know like why they're covering them up. You, you have to know when their secrets get revealed and you have to know how all this ties into like the overarching plot. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, like drafting this, it was like very much a learning process. Um, and I would say I am more of like a discovery writer naturally. Like I like to, you know, just sit down and like let the story tell itself to me. Mm. And with like every draft, um, the characters would like let themselves be known to me. Mm -hmm. So like the the characters I wrote in the very first draft of How We Fall Apart are definitely not like what they're like at in like the final finished copy. Um, I'm I think like secrets changed partway through like some of these drafts because I was like, oh, you know, this this other secret would be like juicier or work yeah. better and like make more sense with the narrative that I'm writing. Um, but no, it was uh, it was very difficult, and there was an added challenge, which was that I decided to not write multiple POVs for mm -hmm. this book, and it was something that I thought about a lot before I started drafting, and I like went back and forth with my agent um, because uh, one of us is lying is like one of the main comp titles, and that book has four or five, well, multiple POVs, oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and they're all in third person, and they're all like done really well. Um, but I was like 21 or 22 when I wrote this book. And I was like, I don't have the skill set. Like I knew I didn't have it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also just wouldn't have felt confident, um, you know, writing, writing like in the perspective of characters whose identities I didn't fully share. Like um, there's an Indian American like member of like the main cast. Um, and there's like a Korean American member. Um, and I just, I, I, I'm Chinese American. So I was like, I, I could try to write these POVs, but I would need like to heavily employ sensitivity readers. And even then um, I would worry about getting them wrong. Uh, and then I, another thing I thought about was maybe uh, if I wrote like multiple perspectives, I could do like only Chinese American protagonists. But then I had the issue of, but I didn't grow up with that. Like my friend group, mm -hmm in high school was not only Chinese American. Um, I actually think I was the only Chinese American. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, it would not have felt like the story I wanted to tell. So there, there are like so many like factors I had to think about um, in, uh, in trying to, you know, write these characters intimately, uh, but also not overstep any boundaries, mm -hmm. um, not write something that I wouldn't be comfortable with while also making every character dynamic and, you know, still exciting. And I, you know what, I think part of um, the excitement 
in writing these characters. And I hope like what readers feel is exciting about all these characters is that um, you, you don't like fully know what's going on in their heads um, because we're only in one character's perspective and she's an unreliable narrator. So we don't even know yeah. what she's telling us if that's like the full story or not. So in the end, like going going in like um, not necessarily giving all the information about all these characters was the best move for me and like the best move for the development. Yeah, well, and I think about, um, when I think about point of view, like I literally in my brain, like it's almost like, a director like shooting a camera like over a person's shoulder and to me or I or through their eyes you know depending on first third whatever however you want to place it in but like to me it's like do you want to decide on if the reader gets to be like omnipresent and kind of know all the pieces and parts of the story and then watch it unfold or do you want it to be like this like with it being a thriller with so many different people like I think it would play better with one point of view because then you can more easily keep the secrets of the other people from your reader like I don't know to me it just feels like it would almost be more challenging to you as an author not only because you'd be juggling multiple POVs and multiple like you said cultural backgrounds and all this different stuff but also because like if person x has a secret and then all of a sudden we're seeing the world through their eyes then you have to like come up with all of those like cheesy author writer things where like for some reason they don't say the thing that they would obviously say in real life that would give away their secret like to me I think I like books that are have from one perspective when there is a mystery because like I don't want to know all the reasons why a, a person does something that's mysterious until like you know the big moment I don't know that's just me <laughs> yeah well I've I've like read mysteries where like they were only told from one perspective and like the narrator was unreliable and I really enjoyed those. Mm -hmm. I think um, we were liars is written from like just one perspective. I can't remember, but I think so. Um, but then like you know on the flip side, like I've also enjoyed like Karen McManus's books. So I think like it, it's a matter of like how um, the author approaches it. But it, yeah, it's just cool that there are like so many ways that you can write a thriller and, um, you know, make it exciting in whatever way you choose. So something else that plays a pivotal role in your book, and, and I mentioned um, Apes to Space, this is in that one as well, is like social media as a huge way for things to happen in the plot. And I think this is another reason why like people my age in like our mid thirties and maybe a little bit older or a little bit younger than me love books like yours is because like I was I was a part of like the last generation of like yeah we had text messaging but it wasn't like anything at all like what's going on now like when I was a freshman in college Facebook got introduced to our college like it literally oh, wow. I'm like lit I'm literally the line between like whether it's like old millennial whatever they call me I'm I'm that so like I didn't have to worry while I was in high school like oh shoot, people are going to record me doing something insane. In fact, I'm very happy that they don't. But like, did how big of a role did social media play in your high school experience? Obviously not to the extent of what's in your book, but like, was it a thing that people were heavily involved with when you were in high school? I'm not trying to <laughs> age you, I promise. I'm not <laughs> I was going to say, yes, I was also accused of murdering someone when I was in high school. No, no, no. So I, uh, when I was in high school, I think you know what I think Facebook was introduced when I was in like late middle school mm -hmm. like 
13, maybe 14. And then um, I honestly was not big on social media throughout high school. Like I used Facebook. I think I had a Tumblr for like, like a week and then I got bored of it. Um, oh, I watched YouTube. Um, but honestly, like I, I didn't like really use social media that much, but um, starting in like university, um, there's, so there's this app called Yik Yak. Mm-hmm. Um, you pro- yeah, you probably know of it. And it was huge when I was in college. It was like, I think it was introduced when I was like a freshman and like all throughout my years, like people would use that app. And that's actually the app that inspired the app in How I Fall Apart, which is called Tip Tap. Mm-hmm. So you, I basically just like changed letters around. Um, and I, I saw recently actually that Yik Yak made a comeback. I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so in, in high school, I did like sort of observe how my classmates use social media. Um, but I, I don't think anything like huge happened in school. Um, you know, I think we started using Snapchat then. Um, I, I don't think like, like now we have like, you know, so many different apps and mm-hmm. students can like record each other at school. Like if they want to get each other in trouble or like all sorts of things. Um, we did, I don't think we really had that when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so more of like the social media influence like came from like my college years, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, because like, like, I mean, tip tap is basically yik yak yeah. for, for high school. And um, yik yak is basically just an anonymous gossip app. Like, well, it doesn't have to be gossip. Like you can just post a funny little one liner thing, like something you would post on Twitter, but specific to your school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, all, all my time spent on yik yak um, just like really made me think about what if somebody uses app to like essentially like something terrible, like point fingers at other students, like saying like, hey, they were involved in this crime or, you know, they did something terrible. Um, Because I think like those kinds of platforms, especially if they let you take photos and upload videos, like they can quickly spiral into like, um, you know, a targeted attack on somebody. Yeah, I it's so like, exactly what you said is so spot on, because it's like, when Facebook first came out, and then, you know, there's Twitter, and like I said, Snapchat, Instagram, everything. I feel like initially when they all started rolling out, everyone who was using them got excited to use them for what they were in theory like intended for. Like I remember when Instagram came out and I was like, oh man, I love taking photos. Like this is super cool. And now I feel like anytime any any social media comes out, like in my initial thought, maybe it's just because I'm like 35 going on 70, but in my brain, I'm immediately like, how can this be used for bad? Like this is going to be used for bad mm-hmm. somehow. Um, a lot of that is because I have a 14 year old niece who is literally getting ready to go to high school in like next week. She's the first one in our family. And she's actually, she's going to a private all girls school. Like she's literally going to a oh, school. Wow. It's, yeah, I know. And she's going to be great. She's a wonderful <laughs> kid. But like she loves Instagram and my sister like has makes like checks everything she does and makes it all like private and all this stuff my sister's really good with this she's an attorney so it's a lot of a lot of like coverage there but like but literally I'm just sitting there like man I would hate to be like my niece going into this school and like loving social media I just I don't know to me I just assume they're all going to be used for bad maybe that says more about me than it does about <laughs> social media well, no, I, so I'm like, um, 
I think I'm like a young millennial slash like old Gen Z based on who you talk to. Yeah. Um, but I like think back to my teen years, like mostly spent off social media because like I didn't care about Facebook really. I didn't I didn't want to like keep in touch with like the, the students I went to high school with. I was like, I see you guys like so often, like we don't gotta see each other online too. Yeah. Um and I I honestly am glad that I didn't use social media that much. Um I feel like yeah social media has like all of its benefits. Like um I think especially for authors who don't have like an established base or anything. Yeah. Um, social media promotion can be really great if you're like mm -hmm. smart about it, but it can, you know, quickly become terrible also. And I also just like worry about, you know, kids who are growing up on TikTok, like kids who are like your niece's age. Um, they're like on TikTok, they're on Instagram, Snapchat, they're on all the things. And it's like, it's just such a, like a different way of interacting with people. And I don't know if it's healthy um i would just worry that like you know kid you know kids will like find out ways to use social media um you know to like target people or um you know i, I feel like it's not the best way to get to know people too like mm -hmm. you can feel like you know somebody after like replying to their tweets a few times but you don't really know that person and i think for kids like it, it could be hard to like distinguish that line but maybe this is just me, like, you know, being older and like worrying about them. I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, if all you're doing is confirming, this is like, this is like literally confirmation bias here. Like you're saying stuff and I'm like, yeah, I agree with you as a person older than you. I definitely agree. Yeah, we're, we know for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So you mentioned uh, when you were when you were in high school, it, having like a different book every single day, like what this is obviously a hugely important question on a book podcast. What were some of the books that you were reading when like you were a teenager? Yeah, so actually, I, I think like that was the era when um, YA was really having its moment, mm -hmm. like Divergent took off. Obviously, Twilight was huge. Um what am I, you know, there were just like all these like yeah. different titles that like, like became like blockbuster films, mm. I want to say, like, everybody I knew was reading and talking about these books. It was so cool. Um, because it was like, everyone was like sharing this experience. And I think like that, like those kinds of books, like made me really want to like, you know, just like write something that could, you know, spark conversations mm -hmm. in classrooms. Um, I also read Percy Jackson. That was like easily like my favorite series growing up. Um, I, I think I remember the the first book came out when I was Percy's age. Like I was in sixth grade. Percy was in sixth grade in the in the Lightning Thief. I was so excited because I was like, oh, I'm growing up with him because there'd be like another book um, every year. He'd be a year older. I'd be a year older. Um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid was another one that mm -hmm. like even like the non readers in my classes who like hated reading like they couldn't they couldn't put those uh, books down yeah um i read like a lot of middle grade fantasy like even mm -hmm. throughout like my high school years like artemis fowl septimus heap um there was this like fun detective series called sammy keys i don't know if you've heard yeah, of yeah, it yeah. Uh, we, I yeah, like a million years ago books. i think i interviewed the yeah. author of that <laughs> wow no i I like I I I love I remember like I love those books so much I would reread them 
um, I've always like been a big fan of like mysteries. And I think um, Maureen Johnson, like her very first few books, like 13 Blue Envelopes or something, mm -hmm. I think that was her. Um, those were like also what got me into like mystery specifically. Um, and just, yeah, like I, I honestly am blanking just because there have been so many books no, I've read over the years. I put you on the spot. You're oh, killing it. Yeah. That was honestly super <laughs> impressive. <laughs> um no i i know exactly what you mean about like with the percy jackson ones i will say like obviously jk rowling hugely problematic now we didn't know yeah. time, but like i when i when harry potter first came out like i that's one thing my age was perfect for like he was 12 i was 12 but it was literally followed the same path mm -hmm. and um my mom taught third and fourth grade for 40 years and like for most of the last decade and a half she read the first harry potter book to her like third and fourth graders because it was like that exact age so i very much know what you mean and then like you like you said you move on to like the hunger games and divergent and um like the fifth wave like all of these just like oh, yeah um, yeah like, yeah like cultural touch points for like you knew at any given time if you were like on a train or if you were just like walking down the street like you were gonna see somebody holding the hunger games like you just were it was yeah. gonna happen and like that was super cool to know and I still remember going to the first Hunger Games, like there was like a midnight showing and like the whole thing. Yeah, that was, the, I miss those mm -hmm. days. And obviously those books are still coming out like, and it's still wonderful, but yeah, I, uh, I know what you mean. So yeah, that, no, you I know, yeah. Yeah, I miss that. I, I can't remember the last time we had a YA or like any book that became a phenomenon like that. Mm -hmm um and i don't i think about that a lot and like part of me is like maybe it's just because you know the i guess like people are more interested in like short form media now mm -hmm. um like people say like oh TikTok has made people's like attention span really short um so nobody like wants to sit down and read books but i think people are still reading books i just don't know why we haven't had a book really take off i think the closest thing and like my my guess is that now there are so many more incredible young adult young adult authors like yourself and like i feel like it like branched out that there's so many of them that like even when someone like gets really really buzzy like um like tell me out of i think is probably the closest thing i can think of of like yeah. children of blood and bone when it first came out like she was on the jimmy fallon show and she like and i think i think it's still on the new york times bestsellers it's like and I know that it's becoming a movie, but, and I feel like that's, I feel like that's something that might've been, might've happened faster with like the Hunger Games where like within two years of it coming out, it was then a movie and every and like, and then it kind of snowballed to like, oh, now our parents are reading it and like our aunts yeah. and stuff. So like maybe that, or like Lee Bardugo with, you know, like, but even that, like um, her books becoming a Netflix series, like that took like a decade like it just yeah I don't know I feel like we're falling down a rabbit hole now and that's okay <laughs> <laughs> um so towards the end of our conversations we like to ask nine questions so we call the nerd nine uh very lighthearted. not that anything else I asked you is super heavy today <laughs> but um what's the last book you finished reading or what you're currently reading I will accept since it's your pub week Oh, uh, yes. I just started reading The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. So good. It's, oh, my goodness. It's so good. I am only like, I want to say a third of the way through, but I just I love it so far. It is like 
giving me all like the dark academia vibes like um and honestly like having written you know also a dark, dark academia title um with a main character who like just like is very like feels very isolated mm-hmm. um i feel i feel like nancy from how i fall apart would like really kind of understand um the, why am i blanking on the main character but the main well, character J- in, jake. Uh, J- well jake yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, oh my gosh um yeah so i feel like they would kind of you know understand like the, well the feeling of um just feeling very very isolated in these like elite institutions um yeah it's really good and it's a debut too yeah, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's such a wonderful book. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Oh, I actually, I don't. Like, I know some people like like to go to cafes um, or like the library. Growing up for me, it was definitely the library, but um, I guess I've just kind of learned to read anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually I will read in my bed. So I guess I would say my bed. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally fair. Some people can do it. I'm not one of them. I fall asleep right away if I do, but that's, <laughs> that's, not, a, that's not a bad thing either. Um, so we talked about the books that you loved as a teenager, but do you remember the book that maybe made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Um, you know, I would probably say Harry Potter, even though like I, I try not to like talk too much about the series yeah. anymore, but like it was like Harry Potter that made, it was the first time when like reading a book that I felt truly transported like out of my boring Michigan life I was Mm -hmm. I felt like I was there um you know in the story at Hogwarts so I have to say that but like right after that would be Percy Jackson yeah um and I we I think Joe and I have talked about it I know some other book podcasts have as well but like I'm definitely of the belief where like if a author comes out it ends up being like a garbage human being you can still enjoy the world they created and just, you know, maybe don't purchase like, um, yeah. Orson Scott card, horrible human being, millions of people of Ender's game. Um, HP Lovecraft was like just about the worst human being ever walk the planet. And he kind of helped create science fiction as like a genre. So it's like, you know, it's, I definitely know what you mean for sure. But, um, yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. Um, okay. We're kind of allowed to travel now ish sort of, um, so what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet visited? Oh, um, probably Japan. I am like, I grew up like loving anime. Um, so I've always kind of wanted to like, see what Japan is like, not, not have like, like a weird, like fantasy version of it in my <laughs> mind, but just like to see, you mm-hmm. know, it just seems really cool. Um, yeah. Eat some good food over there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um, ooh, huh. I, I feel like it's probably, it's a tie between Halloween and Christmas. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I can't choose, like, they're, because, like, Halloween is fun because you get to dress up. Well, at least now, like, all I do is dress up. I don't, yeah. like, trick or treat. Um, but, you know, that's fun. Um, but Christmas, like, you get to, like, spend with family and, like, give each other presents. And mm-hmm. um, when I think of, like, my childhood especially, like, there was just no feeling, like, waking up on Christmas morning. Like, no other feeling like it. Yeah. I will, I'll accept two answers. Well, I won't <laughs> okay. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. 
yeah, 2020 made me a coffee person because I just could not like live without having a lot of caffeine. Yeah, oh, that's totally fair. Um, cats yeah. or dogs? Cats. I think I'm a cat person. Do you have a favorite food? Um, well, it's another tough one. I'm <laughs> going to go with sushi. I feel like I could eat sushi like every meal, every day, never get sick of it. Uh, and then if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Um, oh, this is another tough one. I know. I'm sorry. I need to like start. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. Um, trying to think. Uh, well, right now, so I've, I've just been like, I'm going to say Simu Liu, mm-hmm. um, just because I have been like, thinking a lot about the upcoming movie Shang-Chi and he just seems really cool yeah I love the whole story of him like um basically manifesting his dream on Twitter (laughs) incredible right yeah (laughs) I think that's awesome Um, okay last question for you what do you hope readers take away from your book oh that's a good question so honestly like my like when I write my books, like usually I will have to know like the heart of the story, like why am I writing this book before I can even start. Mm -hmm. And my why for writing How We Fall Apart was to sort of break down like the model minority stereotype um, that's used to portray Asian people and show that like we're human and we're not unbreakable. Um, We're not just like somehow magically better at school. A lot of it you know, comes from many of us being raised with like uh, immigrant parents who like, they've really given up so much to be here and they work so hard. And um, like, they really like instill those values in their children. Um, And so that's why like, you know, you can sometimes see like high performing Asian Americans, but all of that like comes at a price that we don't ever talk about. you know, like mental health isn't like an issue that's like really even acknowledged among like Asian communities. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I wanted to shed light on in this book was just like, show how like these students are really, really struggling to stay afloat. And, um, you know, they're not really allowed to talk about their mental health issues. It's dismissed by their communities. Um, They feel very alone, even though like they're surrounded by people Um, And they feel like they're not doing enough, even though it looks like on the outside, they're like perfect. Uh, We see throughout the story, like their secrets are unraveling all the things they've done to try to maintain this flawless image, like are all coming out. Um, And I mean, at the beginning, you find out like the the very like top smartest student um, was found dead. And that, that was like her fate. So yeah, yeah, I guess like my the takeaway that I'd want people to have. Um, is to just like learn more about something that I think is uh, an Asian American experience that is shared by a lot of us um, and to be able to talk more openly about mental health in just academia in general. I, that's perfect. I love your my why for writing. I'm absolutely going to borrow that and take that in, in everything I do from now on. Katie, you did this on short notice during your pub week because I DM'd you on Twitter. Seriously, this was so much fun. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It was so much fun. I mean, I knew we would have fun um, Mm -hmm. because I've listened to the podcast 
and I was like, Adam seems really cool. I think we would have a great conversation. And we did. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com.